Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by our worship pastor, Brian Self. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. We're going to be going to Psalm 84. And if you'll remember, uh, a few weeks ago, um, several, uh, several of the staff members sang a song uh, that was written from this chapter, and uh, we're going to be introducing that song uh, during the new year. And uh, really, as I was, uh, Pastor knew he was going to be gone in Jersey today, and uh, he had asked me to preach, and I thought, okay, well, what do I want to preach on? And I said, well, I don't, I don't know much about Psalm 84, and, uh, and so I want to take a look and see what this psalm is all about. Obviously, we know anywhere we would turn to in God's word is going to be an encouragement and a help to us. Uh, but I wanted to dive in particularly to this passage and uh, see what God had uh, in store. I've entitled this message, To Father's House We Go. Many of you might know uh, the old poem, the Thanksgiving poem from the 1800s, To Grandfather's House We Go, or as it's been adapted through uh, movies uh, in the past maybe 50 years or so, uh, been changed a little bit to Grandmother's House We Go and has been turned at times into a Christmas song. There's something special about going home. Many of us know the the song, I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. Uh, Maybe the old Gaither gospel song, going home, going home, never more to roam. In the same thought, the 18th century hymn, I've wandered far away from God, Lord, I'm coming home. In poetry, in movies, uh, in all of these things, there's this consistent theme of going home. It's a great thing to do. I remember uh, taking my son home for the very first time, and uh, he's, he's just a little bit bigger than that now. Um, he's a lot more ornery. Uh, but I remember taking him home for the first time, and it was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, it was right after COVID had hit, so we literally were able to have no visitors or anything during that time. So Uh, It was either be in a strange place with no friends or anything around, or we could go home and have no friends or uh, anything around, but there would be no strangers and and nicer beds. And so it was great to be able to take him home. Uh, Even nowadays, though, my, my son still likes to be home. Sometimes he just gets bored. Um, Sometimes, you know... You got a French fry, it's Wendy's, it's good food, but you just want to go home. You just want to take a nap. Uh, I think this was one of the times we were out canvassing and he doesn't want to be in the stroller. He just, he wants to go home. And Psalm 84 is along this same line of thought. And it's taken from the time in King David's life. Uh, We just went over recently on Sunday nights where Uh, He had been really kicked out of Jerusalem, kicked out of the palace because his son Absalom had started a civil war against him and there was all of this unrest and Absalom was coming with an army 
And so David had to flee Jerusalem, flee the capital, uh, leaving behind the palace, his possessions, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, Ark of the Covenant, and the tabernacle uh, that housed that. He had to leave all of it behind and really run off into the wilderness. Something he hadn't done for many years since Saul used to be the one chasing him. This was something that David uh, was deeply grieved about. You can read several of the Psalms. I think of Psalm 3 in particular. Thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my refuge and the lifter of my head. He wrote in response to this tragedy, and this is another one of those Psalms. Uh, Pastor Charles Spurgeon of the 1800s said this about this Psalm. If the 23rd Psalm be the most popular the 103rd, the most joyful, the 119th, the most deeply experiential, and the 51st, the most plaintive. This is one of the most sweet of the Psalms of peace. It's a very uh, unique song for a couple of reasons. And uh, if you look at the very beginning of the Psalm in your Bible, you'll see what looks like a, a header uh, but this would be part of the inspired text here, to the chief musician upon Giddith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. This word Giddith comes from a Hebrew word for the wine or the wine press. And this would be a particular time of year where they would get together all of the grapes that they would harvest. They'd throw them into the wine press and they would stomp on the grapes to make the juice come out. And uh, this would be something, you know, you don't want to be doing this all day. This wouldn't be very fun. Uh, so they would make a big event of it. You'd have several people and they would all be dancing. It was a joyful song meant to be sung during the pressing of the grapes. And I found this cool little graphic here of that's where everyone would stand and they would dance and they would stomp and they would step to get the grapes and then the juice would go into the different vats. So this is a song that is meant to be, even though it's written during a very hard time in David's life where he's far from home, far from family, far from his possessions. His own son has uh, created this army of his own countrymen to try and come after him and to kill him and to take his throne. But it is a song that is meant to be joyful. And it's David saying, I just want to go home. However, as we'll see, his desire is not merely that he would go to Jerusalem, but instead that he would be able to go back to the house of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for God to speak to us this morning, and then we'll dive right into this passage. Dear God, we want to thank you for uh, the gift of your word, and Lord, that it is a light to our feet but Lord, also that it mirrors our emotions, that Lord, as we experience heartbreak, as we experience strained relationships and the hurt that life brings, we can come to your word and see people who went through the exact same thing. And Lord, as David here expresses it in song, God, we ask that you would help us to realize where our hope and our help comes from. God, we ask that you would be glorified. We love you, Lord, and we ask you to speak to our hearts this morning. Pray all this in your name. Amen. So we see here in this song that David writes in verses one through four, a desire for the Lord's house. 
He starts it off by saying this, how amiable, how lovely, how beautiful are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Here in verse one, we can see David expressing this desire of, he could be saying, Lord, I just want to go home. I want to go home to my family. I want to go where you have placed me. You have made me the king. And so I want to be there. But David's heart during this time isn't God. I want to go back to even what's comfortable. David's heart here is, Lord, I want to go back to your house. He says, how amiable, how lovely are your tabernacles. The plural here uh, is, sp- is speaking of the greatness, the grandeur of how amazing God's house is. It's, it's the fullness of everything that is in the Lord's house. And he says, my, my soul longs, uh, it pines for, the word is literally, I lose color in my face. I become pale for the courts of the Lord. He says, when I faint, I'm absolutely consumed with this thought. Not just, I want to go to my home. I want to go to your home, God. And he says here, he addresses him as the Lord of hosts. And this is a title that he gives to him four times throughout the passage. And this is a cry to God as the covenant keeper of, Lord, you are the God of armies. That's what host means. It's not, you know, when you go to a restaurant and a host takes you to your table. It's not that. It's the Lord of heaven's armies. And he says, God, you are powerful enough to bring me back to a place of worship before you. As we've learned on Sunday nights during this time, there were a lot of things that David wasn't quite walking with the Lord beforehand, and it led to a lot of the troubles that were happening. But here we have David returning his focus of, okay, God, I have all of these other outside things that are taking my attention, that are troubling me, but I want to refocus on you. And so he says, with everything I am, I'm consumed with getting back to God. And so I cry out to you as the Lord of heaven's armies, the one who is powerful enough and able enough to bring me back. I ask for your help in all of this. He goes on and says, Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house, they will still be praising thee, Selah. Now, word Selah is uh, kind of a musical term during the Psalms that you'll read, and it just means stop, think about that. He says, even the birds are able to go to God's house right now. They can even set up their nests in this place. He says, but I can't go there because of the difficulties I'm going through, because of the really persecution from Absalom that's coming, I can't go to God's house. But man, I want to. I want to be like these birds that they put what is most precious to them, their children, the nest that the swallow makes. He says, I want to put my most precious possessions to God. I want to give him my everything, and I want to make my home where God's home is. 
This makes me think of the question, do I want to be in the Father's house personally? David here is saying all of this not because the tabernacle at that time was so grand and so beautiful that he just says, man, this architecture of this tent is better than the architecture of anything else that's in Israel right now, and so I want to go there for that reason. No, he wanted to go there because he wanted to be close to God. And that's something that we should all want. Psalm 1611 says this, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of God there is security. There are his blessings. Galatians 525 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we know Christ as Savior, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us at each and every moment. God lives with us. So why shouldn't we walk with him, be in step with him, have fellowship with the God who loves us? Jesus gave this very promise in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power or authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We should all want to be with our Father personally. That we shouldn't seek to just maybe meet with God on a Sunday and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to do my church thing Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week, I can, I can forget about it. I've given God, you know, my due, and everything else is fine. No, as Pastor Fountain often talks about, we should seek to every day walk with and be with God. Not only that, but do I want to be in the Father's house corporately? You see, Romans 12, 5 says that we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members of one another. Uh, the Christian life isn't meant to be lived just you or just you and a family member or you and a group of friends. We are meant to live the Christian life in a community, specifically the community that Christ himself ordained, that Ephesians 5 says he died for, the church itself. 1 John 3, 14 through 16 says, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. God has designed us to live this Christian life together as a church family. That's why we have several services during the week. It's why we have outreach events that we invite people to be a part of because it's not meant to be just, okay, Dennis and Veronica and Tom, uh, you guys are the church and you do everything and, and we'll just, we'll cheer you on. You got this. No, we are meant to do this all together. This includes our singing. Psalm 149.1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Uh, 
singing is not something that we just want uh, maybe the, the best and greatest to do. It's not something that just Pastor Fountain uh, or Miss Hannah or some of our best singers do. No, singing as God has designed it is supposed to be something that we all join in. And I love getting to hear God's people sing. I think I mentioned it a time or two ago when I preached uh, COVID and, and when some of the initial lockdown stuff happened made me realize this truth more than ever. Uh, if it's just one or two people singing, uh, obviously anytime God is exalted, it's a good thing, but it is a far better thing according to the design of God when the church lifts their voices to praise the Lord. Not only that, but, but the church corporately is how God has designed his name to be glorified. Ephesians 3 says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Us as a body are meant to bring glory to God. And when any one of us says, okay, the, the rest of you can do this, but I'm, I'm just going to do my thing over here. We are not giving God the full glory that he is worthy of, that he has earned through his death and proven by his resurrection. We ought to exalt God in the church. Not only that, but Ephesians 1.10 says that we as a church preach, we show God's greatness and his wisdom to even the angels. It says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. We as a church proclaim to those in the heavenly places how wise our God is, the many ways in which he is wise. We should want to be in the Father's house personally, that we would personally walk with God, but we ought to be in the Father's house corporately. And obviously, I, I know I'm quite literally preaching to the choir because you sang this morning, but also because you're here on a Sunday morning. But this is something that is good, that God has designed that we would be in the Father's house corporately for these many reasons, that we would love each other, that we would proclaim the gospel that we would bring God glory, that we would sing together, that we would walk with Christ, and that we would preach the gospel even through our worship together. So David, through this first part, has a desire for the Lord's house. He says, God, your house is lovely, it's beautiful, it's incredible because of who God is and because of what he's done. And he pleads to him, God, please bring me back home. And he had that personal desire for God. And he, and he talks about how even the birds are able to go to God's house at that point. He says, I want to be as free as them. And I want to place what's most dear to me there just like the birds do. But then he goes on to sing about the dedication of the Lord's people. He says in verse number five, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee and whose heart are the ways, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appeareth before God. It's a very uh, kind of obscure things that it's saying here. But he says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways. And this word ways here would be the word highways. It's the thought of, Blessed is the man whose strength, whose purpose, whose mission is you and in whose heart 
is that way to your tabernacle, to the place where you are. Uh, the Jewish men at this time had several times throughout the year where God had said, hey, I want everyone from Israel to come to the tabernacle at this point and sacrifice and worship. And David says, hey, blessed, happy is the man whose strength is in you. The person that doesn't say, man, I've got too much going on at home. And during this time, it would be quite a journey for someone to go from their house all the way to the tabernacle, which was kind of a central location Within Israel, he says, okay, I'm not going to focus on maybe my crops, uh, maybe even on the safety of uh, my household or some of these things, but the person would say, my heart is set on the way to God's house. Man, that's, that's a challenge to me. Sometimes, you know, I live next door and it's like, okay, do I want to walk all the way over there? Uh, but but there is this command, there's this exhortation of David says, hey, there is happiness for the person whose heart is set on that pilgrimage to the tabernacle. 84, Psalm 84, 6 says, who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well, the rain also filleth the pools. The valley of Baca is the valley of weeping. This was a place of tears. Um, the Septuagint, uh, the, the Greek translation that uh, Christ and the apostles would have used, uh, f- translated this as Gehenna, which would have been uh, the place that pictured hell uh, to the Old Testament saints. This was a place of suffering. Uh, I'm trying to think of maybe uh, a word we might use. Uh, it's a person going through Death Valley. It's a person going through those very hard times. But it says that person that's set on visiting the Lord, even when they go through the worst places, even when they go through, uh, with the word Gehenna, even if they go through hell itself on earth, they make it a well. A well during this time was an incredible thing. It was where you got nourishment. It's where you got water. You could live if there was a well nearby. If there was no well, you had no source of water. And so here he says, even going through the deepest trials in life, the person who is set on having that relationship with the Lord and with following him, even the darkest times are made a place of life. It says the rain also filleth the pools. It says, hey, when this person is following God and when they say, hey, I'm going to make this pilgrimage, I'm going to make this journey, that there's blessing that comes as a result of that. It says, they go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Most journeys, you would go from a place of strength to a place of weakness. You'd start off and you're feeling good. And by the end of the trip, especially if it was a long one, you'd be just absolutely wiped. But David says here, hey, the person that's going to God's house is going to go from strength to strength because the Lord himself is the strength of that person. And then he says, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. For the normal person, you would attempt to go on a great journey during this time to see a king or worship a deity and only hope that you'd get to interact with them in some way. Uh, You could think of it nowadays as you might go to Washington, D.C. today, but for most of us, we're probably not going to get to meet the president. We could go to maybe Hollywood and you probably won't get to meet whatever your favorite movie star would be. But David here writes that for the person that's going to see the Lord, 
every traveler will appear before the holy God they've come to worship. That no one on their journey to see God, no one seeking the Lord is ever going to be turned away. What a comfort that is. I think sometimes as Christians, we can take that for granted. But do you know that every prayer that you've ever prayed to the Lord, he hears? Every time we've cried out to him in pain, he knows, he hears. And maybe he didn't always do exactly what we wanted him to do, which if he did, we would be God, not him. We don't get to boss him around but he hears us. He knows us. And I love this promise. Every one of them in Zion, no matter how short or long the journey was for the person, when you come to Zion, when you come to the house of the Lord, you're going to appear before God. And man, the dedication of the Lord's people in these verses made me think, do I have dedication and devotion to God in my commitments? It was a commitment for these people to say, okay, I'm going to take, you know, these couple of weeks and travel from my house with my food and my crops and my land, and I'm going to travel all the way to the tabernacle and then spend my time there worshiping the Lord and then coming back. It was a commitment. Do we commit to the Lord? Proverbs 16.3 says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Psalm 37, 5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Sometimes we just go completely without committing anything to the Lord, saying, God, I will follow you. And we don't make plans to follow the Lord. We don't make plans to step out in faith. But as David here says, there is great reward when we choose to follow God in what we say and what we do. Not only that, but do we have devotion to God in the difficulties? Sometimes there will be those instances in which we pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of tears. Do we have devotion to God in those difficulties? With the verses that we started off today with, Job said, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Are we simply fair-weather friends of God that when he does everything we want him to do, we're, we're great with him and maybe we'll read our Bibles and we'll go to church and we'll tell other people about him. But when we start going through a hard time, we say, okay, I'm, I'm kind of done with the God thing or maybe just, maybe not that resolute, but we would say, okay, I, I don't really have time for God right now. I don't have time for my Bible reading right now. Things are really tough. We should have devotion to God, even in the difficulties. And David gives there that great promise that life and joy comes even passing through that valley. Then in verses 8 through 12, we see the delight of the Lord's servant. He says, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. He starts off in verse 8 saying, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. The cry returns for David that he would be able to return 
to God's place of worship. Like Israel's namesake ancestor, Jacob, he says, just like Jacob, who wanted to return to the land of promise when he was fleeing from his brother Esau, he says, just like Jacob, who who had to flee, who had to go on journeys because of a lack of safety, he says, God, just like you brought Jacob back, bring me back. And then he says, behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. Here, when he's talking about a shield and anointed, it's a reference to the earthly king of Israel, in this case, David himself. A reference to the earthly king of Israel whose health, edicts, and success would dictate the safety and well-being of the country at large. He's saying, God, please look out for me. And aren't you thankful God, God cares about us individually? It's not just, okay, I, I care for you all as a group. Uh, you know, any one of you, I could kind of give or take. Craig, eh. uh, Jeremy, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of Jeremy. Uh, it's not just that God cares for us as a group, but God cares for us individually. And David here gives this individual cry of, Lord, look on your servants. The shield of Israel, he would be really the face of the country. And he says, Lord, if, if it's going well for the king, if there is safety, if there's not civil turmoil and unrest, it goes well for everyone and they're able to leave their, leave their homes and their lands behind in safety and come and worship. And, and the people can worship freely and they don't have to worry about, you know, these roving bands of uh, people and the armies that were engaging in the civil war. They didn't have to worry about all of these things if the kingdom was secure. Makes me think of Proverbs 13, 34, the 34. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 20, 28 says, Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upholden by mercy. On the other part of it, Proverbs 29, 4 says, The king by judgment or justice establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts or bribes overthroweth it. There's all throughout God's word this, this thought that if the land is doing well, if there is righteousness, if there is peace, then it goes well for the worshipers. But if there is unrest, if there's trouble, then it makes it harder for the worshipers of the Lord. We've seen that even last month with many of the testimonies that we heard during missions month. Do we pray for our country? I think of 1 Timothy chapter 2 where it says, I will therefore that supplication, prayer, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. When we pray for our leaders, the hope would be that they would accept Christ, obviously, but also that there would be peace in the land so that we would be able to live our lives in godliness and honesty. It can be easy to complain about a country. It can be easy to rail against maybe rulers and leaders and judges and people that we think are doing wrong. But the biblical solution is to pray for our country. And here David gives this uh, prayer, and obviously he is the king at this point, but he says, Lord, please help our country look on the face of your anointed, the king here. But I think also, as the Lord would also be our shield, and we would know that, 
And Jesus Christ, the name Christ, is the Greek word for uh, the same word here, anointed or Messiah. Do we pray for our local church? Pray that this church would be a continual beacon and a light to our community and that we would continue to be a light around the world. It would be somewhat silly for us to say, God, we pray for peace in our country, uh, that truth and justice and your way uh, would, be, uh, would be done in everything. Uh, but then we would have no prayer for our local area. We would have no prayer for our church and say, God, would you help our church? He continues here then in verses 10 through 12. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. He says, God, one day in your house, one day with you is better than a thousand days anywhere else. I would rather, and hear the word doorkeeper, uh, you might have a footnote there on your text, it, it literally means this. I would choose rather to sit at the threshold in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. David says, I would rather be in that back corner over there, right over by the exit sign, just barely peering in. I would rather be in the lowliest place of worship than to have the greatest riches and pleasures of this life. He says, I don't care if I'm not right up front praising you and singing to you. I don't care if I'm not able to be with all of the people. God, if I can just look in at where you are, at where the praises to you are being sung, and if I can just be at the outermost part of this place of worship, it's enough for me. I'd rather have one day there than to have all the riches of my kingdom, than to have all of the benefits of this life. I'd rather just have one day worshiping you. That's an encouragement, but it's a challenge. Is that our heart? Is that how we live our lives? Or do we say, God, I would rather, <laughs> I would rather choose one day with you and a thousand elsewhere. Or do we say, God, I would rather have you. I would rather worship you. I would rather know you than to have everything else in this life. He gives the explanation of, of why he would say something. Why would you want just one day with God at the outermost part of worship? Why would you want it? He says this, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. He's the source of life. He is our protector. The Lord will give grace. He will give his favor. He will give honor, glory. No good will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And that, that's a great promise there. That God is not going to withhold anything from your life that is good for you. He's not going to withhold anything from you. As we walk with the Lord, we can know that our God will supply our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We know that as we follow him and as we love him, that just as a father knows how to give good gifts, our heavenly father will give us exactly what we need. 
Sometimes what we need is a blessing. Sometimes what we need might be a thing or a person that God brings into our life. But sometimes that good thing we need might be a trial. It might be something that God says, hey, I want to conform you more to the image of Christ. That at the end of this thing, you would look more like your perfect God than you do the imperfect you before. Those things we don't always look at as being good, but man, when we look at God's word, wouldn't you rather be a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit less like you? But that only comes through him conforming us to the image of his son. Sometimes a good thing is a raise. Sometimes a good thing is a child. Sometimes a good thing is any one of these ordeals, but Sometimes a good thing is suffering, a loss of a loved one. Sometimes the good thing that he doesn't withhold from us is his perfect trials so that that way his son can shine all the more brightly in our life. It says, O Lord of hosts, covenant keeper, God of heaven's armies, blessed, happy is the man that trusteth in thee. What do we prioritize for our worship? It's not a question of, do you worship? Because all of us worship. All of us spend our time, our mental faculties, all of us spend our energy on something. All of us, give our money to certain things. All of those things can be acts of worship. But what do we prioritize for our worship? Do we prioritize the Lord? Do we prioritize the thousand days elsewhere? What do we choose to worship and adore? David here not in great circumstances, in these moments of heartbreak, of his own family turned against him, his own country, the people that he has fought for and led for decades, turning their backs on him. These aren't the words of someone who has it all together and is just saying it to someone else who's going through a hard time. Instead, this is is a man at the end of his rope. This is a man with nothing. A king, a man with great riches and a rich family life and all of these things. And he says, God, I'd rather be at the outermost part of worship. I'd rather be a beggar sitting at the very outermost part of the tabernacle than to have all the riches of this world. Why? Because he knows who God is. He is the source of life. He is the protector. We know him as our savior, the one who gave his life for us. When we were dead in our sins, that all of the bad things that we've done and said and thought, they had alienated us from God. God is perfect and And we couldn't get to him because of our imperfection. 
God reconciled us to himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. That Christ came, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross in our place. That we deserved punishment for our sins, but Jesus took that punishment all on himself. Then he was buried and three days later he rose again, proving his triumph and victory over the grave. And now he calls each and every one of us to accept his payment for our sin. For some of us, do you know God as your father? Do you know this God that, that David sang about in this chapter, that we sang about this morning, the, the God that died for you, that loves you, that wants a personal relationship with you, that wants you to surrender the thousand days elsewhere and say, God, I just want you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, today can be the day that you accept him. But for us as a church family, maybe we'd say, God, I, I haven't wanted to be with you personally. I haven't wanted to spend time with you, to be in your word, to, to pray to you. I, I haven't wanted any of those things. Maybe we'd say, God, I, I haven't wanted to be in the Father's house corporately. I, I haven't wanted to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I see from this passage, I, I need to, that it's your design. It's your desire. Maybe we'd say, man, I, I need to have a devotion to God and my commitments, that I would commit to follow the Lord and that I would follow through with that. And I would have devotion to God even in difficult times, that we would pray both for our country, that God would help it to be a place where we're able to continue freely worshiping the Lord and leading others to know him and praying for our church that God would use us as a lighthouse and a beacon here in our community, that we would prioritize the Lord in our worship, that we would say, God, whatever's happening throughout the week, I'm gonna keep on going to God's house. He lives inside of us if we know him as Savior. And so we're able at any moment to call on him and say, Lord, I, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your comfort. We can, we can run to him at any point throughout the week and, and we can run to him corporately and say, God, as a body, as a family, we call on you. question for us is, we, will we go to the Father? Will we have that same desire for him, for his ways, for the worship of our Lord that David did? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.